Hello, everybody. This is the Cincinnati Herald podcast. I'm your host, John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald. If you don't know, the Cincinnati Herald has been around since 1955 and is the largest African-American newspaper in the greater Cincinnati area. And now let me introduce my guests, the media consultant for the Cincinnati Herald, Andrea Carter. How are you doing today, Andrea? Hi, John. How are you doing today? Doing fantastic. Also, I'd like to introduce our circulation director of the Cincinnati Herald, Wade Lacey Sr. How are you doing today, Wade? Hi, John. As always, it's good to be here. Good to have you. Then I'd also like to introduce our Herald intern, Suhana Sinhan. How are you doing today, Suhana? Good evening, John. I'm doing just fine. I hope you're doing well, too. Yes, I am doing well. And I'd also like to introduce our other Herald intern, Maeve Hamlet. How are you doing today, Maeve? I'm good, John. Thank you for having me. Glad you're here. And we have our special guest, sports expert, Charles Farmer. How are you doing today, Charles? Doing wonderful. I'm not sure if that expert rings, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, our main topic of the day is going to be talk about the Olympics. But before we dive into that, let's talk about some of the top news stories of the week. The Milwaukee Bucks beat the Phoenix Suns 105-98 to in Game 6 to win their first NBA championship since 1971. Giannis Antetokounmpo capped one of the greatest NBA finals ever with 50 points and the championship Milwaukee waited 50 years to win again. Antetokounmpo had 50 points, 14 rebounds, and five block shots as the Bucks beat the Suns to win the series 4-2. Wade, your thoughts on this uh, historic moment for the Milwaukee Bucks? What a dominant appearance that was. Uh, just recently, I think it was either at the beginning of the year, before the season started or right after the season started, um, he had the option to uh, sign that big contract. And I believe he did. The big uh, hangover, they was wondering if they would be able to put people together with him so that they would actually have a chance to win the championship. And so um, if I remember correctly, he went ahead and signed that big contract. And as it turns out, he already had the people around him that he needed uh, to win that, win that championship. I remember 1971 watching uh, some of the playoffs when uh, Kareem, as, as he was called back then, Luau Sender, teamed up with uh, uh, um, Mr. Robertson and Bobby Dandridge to win the uh, NBA championship uh, so long ago. Charles, you want to um, dive into this? What are your thoughts on this uh, subject? Sure, uh, great uh, moment in uh, Milwaukee history. Uh, they've been waiting a long time. Uh, this season was kind of weird and, and it takes nothing away from their win, but a lot of the so-called top teams suffered, uh, had some of their key players suffer injuries. But uh, regardless of the fact, a championship is, uh, is that just that. And early on, people wondered, as Wade mentioned, whether or not Milwaukee had enough uh, players or enough uh, talent to win. And uh, they were able to come through with Giannis serving as the key. But I also think we need to get some uh, recognition to True Holiday, who they received in the trade. And then also uh, the forward Middleton, because uh, together as a team, they played very well and beat a very solid young uh, Phoenix uh, Suns team. And they had the will, fans were really behind them. And uh, it's a long time to wait for a championship, but it was kind of good to see someone different than the regular uh, groups of uh, teams that win all the time, but uh, major win for them, great for the city, and uh, it was refreshing. Andrea, your thoughts on this story? 
I thought it was a very exciting game. Um, I'm not a big basketball fan, but just to watch the Milwaukee just, they, they, they played better, they moved quicker. Uh, I saw the Suns struggling a little bit here and there. I mean, they tried their best to come back and win, but at the end of the day, Milwaukee just had them on the run and they could never catch up. Suhana, your thoughts on this story? Um, John, not cultured in the sports of basketball, I don't, I don't know many lingos or how to assess when I watch a good gameplay. Like, I don't know how the terms to say things. But overall, what I saw was it was a great match. Uh, it didn't look like that Bucks have not won for a while. Uh, the defense and their offense was equally strong, I feel. And towards the last part, um, they were playing as aggressively as one could expect from a team to play. Uh, it was a they put really good shots and uh, uh, it was a very, very interesting match. I was surprised to, at, at least the first half, I was not sure which team is going to win because they were coming on ties constantly. And finally, after the second half, the things become a little more clear and it was a great match. Um, I feel I should watch more basketball because if games are so good, I, I could not take my eyes off the screen. It was a good match. Maeve, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm kind of on the same boat as Suhana. I'm not very cultured in basketball, but um, I didn't watch the game, but I did see their fans' reaction on Twitter, and they have a very supportive fan base. It was kind of interesting to see everybody go crazy about their big win. Um, I'm proud of them, and yeah, it was awesome what they did. Now, moving on to our second story. Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell implored unvaccinated Americans Tuesday to take the COVID-19 shot, issuing a stark and grave warning of a repeat of last year's shutdowns if people refuse to protect themselves from the coronavirus. McConnell urged Americans to ignore the demonstratively bad advice coming from pundits and others against the vaccines. As caseload skyrockets, he noted that nearly all the new virus hospitalizations in the U.S. are among people who have not been vaccinated. Uh, Andrea, your thoughts on this story? It sort of goes to the direness of what is happening on being considered the fourth wave of the pandemic in the U.S., we need to have those who are not vaccinated get vaccinated um, because this variant is a little deadlier than the de deadlier than the original one. Even though McConnell is saying it, um, I can't believe he's saying it. But anyway, but I think it just shows how important it is to um, ignore the naysayers. I mean, if you can, um, Joy Reid talked about Fox News and she made a comment on Stephen Colbert's show saying that, you know, I bet you that the hosts of all the Fox News shows are vaccinated. And even though they are telling their loyal listeners to not get vaccinated, why do they want to kill their listeners? So I think the seriousness of the whole situation is everyone who was poo-pooing it before is now saying, no, no, you have to go get vaccinated. Don't believe us now. Don't ignore what we said before. So I think they've confused people a lot. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Wade, your thoughts on this story? Nothing too much on this. Uh, you know my stance on that. Uh, but I will say that you, when you take Trump out the picture, uh, people seem to speak their, their true mind. And so uh, that's all I've got to say. Uh, Suhana, your thoughts on this story? 
John, I think uh, it is very essential that right now Americans get vaccinated uh, or, or, and those people who didn't get vaccination should go and seek it out because uh, it's we are not like in a time where once this circumstance has arised, we can take our own time to settle it down. Like um, it is maliantly spreading around the whole population of this world. And now that uh, in August, we are seeing that there will be a huge number of incoming students internationally. We don't want, I think this is what the aim is that we don't want the, the population to feel this imbalance and um, a fourth wave get started uh, at an exponential rate. Uh, a lot of countries around the world over the year has taken their own time and measures to get some stability in the situation, especially United States. And by 4th of July, they were not able to match the mark that they set, but they still vaccinated a significant amount of people. But now more than a show of the circumstances that when a lot of international students will come and they're, despite all the precautions and despite whatever people are trying to do to keep themselves safe, there's already a spread of Delta virus and other viruses in the population. And uh, mingling with more people and new faces can uh, cause this whole situation to become a little more severe. So I think for the sake of their own safety in the future, because you won't be able to resist meeting other people from fall, everything is opening again. So uh, it is just safer to get vaccinated this time and not take your chances or provide a risk to people who are coming in and being a risk to people who are already vaccinated. So. Um, don't put your life on thread and uh, get vaccinated. That's what I would like to tell the population. Maeve, your thoughts on this story? You know, I'm really glad he finally took this take um, because he does have a really strong group of people who kind of listen to every word he says and take it with seriousness. And I'm glad he's coming around to terms um, with how serious this Delta variant is. You know, we've seen over the past few months how crucial it's hit other countries and how deadly this strain is. And I think if people don't take this into consideration, I think we have a really scary fall and winter coming ahead for us. Um, that's just my personal opinion. I don't, I think we need to stop, you know, kind of acting like COVID is over um, and really go get vaccinated and, you know, think about the kids too, who aren't able to get vaccinated. That's my biggest, uh, thought and worry in my mind is these kids that are going back to school and people who aren't really taking that serious. Uh, we've seen the effects this new variant has on children too. It's not just the elderly anymore. So I think this is a good thing that he's outwardly spoken that the vaccine is safe and that it's good to go get it. Moving on to our next story, Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, and the richest man in the world launched into space on Tuesday morning atop a rocket built by his space exploration company, Blue Origin. The capsule carrying Bezos, his brother Mark, longtime aviation specialist Wally Funk, and Blue Origin's first space tourism customer, Oliver Damon, traveled 66.5 miles above the Earth's surface. Moments after returning from a brief trip to space on Tuesday, 
Bezos announced he was giving away $200 million in charitable donations. During that press conference, he formally introduced the Courage and Civility Award and its first two winners, CNN political analyst Van Jones and celebrity chef Jose Andres. Bezos said Jones and Andres were chosen as the first two winners of the award because they are leaders who aim high, pursue solutions with courage, and always do so with civility. He added that each man would be given a $100 million prize with no strings attached, though the intended use of the funds is for charitable purposes. Andrea, your thoughts on this um, shocking news? I, I think it's wonderful that first that we saw um, the success of a new age of space exploration, um, hopefully eventually by the common man, at least it's going to be an interesting, you know, ride into space and come back to earth. But I think also the charitable donation to both these two men are unique and interesting, but both play an important role in um, saving the planet. Van Jones, before CNN, the political, he's an environmentalist and he has an environmental company. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what he does with the money and how, how it's going to play out in terms of the next steps of what he's going to do, because he's been a staunch supporter of improving environmental awareness within the African-American, well, I should say within the Black and Brown communities. The chef, of, I forgot what his name is. Um, uh, Jose, you just said his uh, name. Yeah, Jose Andres. Jose, um, chef Andres. He has been feeding the world for a while. Um, he's a believer in the farm to market, I mean, I'm sorry, the farm to table use of food, especially grown food, but also healthy food, but sharing it with the world and feeding the world. And his initiative of feeding the hungry has been seen across the world and he's made great strides. And I think we're going to see more from him with this money. And I think it's a wonderful surprise that Jeff Beso is so generous, but then again, he is worth $20 billion. So um, it's gonna be interesting to see what else he does with his money down the road. Uh, Wade, your thoughts on this story? Uh, very interesting uh, that they are now allowing the uh, private citizens to go out in space. Uh, <laughs> reminds me a little of uh, the movie Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, and going up to Mars. And, everything and yes. vacation trips and everything planned to, to go up there and have a good time but uh maybe maybe now they'll let me uh take my jet pack and ride it around uh, back in the early 60s they uh they, uh came on with the specials about riding your jet packs in the future and riding around you know just just having a good old time and then they came out with the the uh series uh, Lost in Space and uh, whenever they was on a planet and they needed to get to the other side of the planet without uh, getting in a spaceship, he would put his jet pack on and he'd rise up there and ride around and all that good stuff. So maybe I have a chance for my jet pack, so I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, Suhana, your thoughts on the story? Um, John, I think it's a great initiative and very exciting endeavor that space travel is getting more and more possible in the coming future. At the same time, I'm not blown away by Jeff Bezos' donation for charitable purposes. For a while now, in the whole lot of citizens have been talking about the taxes the millionaires pay and the wage that is provided to people, how much increment has been there, and what is the 
care that has been provided by the millennials to their employees. So I, I am glad that we are seeing space travel happening and uh, um, I'm sure there are people who are over the moon over this news. But uh, as I don't see myself leaving Earth anytime soon, unless of course uh, opportunity comes, but I don't see myself currently leaving the Earth off. And I'm quite concerned with the earthly matters that surround us. Um, uh, are the taxes being made done? Uh, or are the employees getting fair wage? For a while, there has been talk about uh, equal wage around the world. But uh, how is Amazon doing all those humanitarian aspects? Where are their investments? And what is the how much emission does the product release? There's a lot of aspects that need to be drilled with the history of Jeff Bezos' work. I'm sure um, space travel is a very a shiny trophy in this whole, uh, in this whole set of achievements. Congratulations to him and his team for doing pulling this off. But um, I, yeah, I, I don't think uh, unless you know it reaches to a more affordable population, it's anything big deal for me. Millionaires have been indulging in a lot of whims for over generations now. If this is a millionaire whim or it's a future for humanity, um, it's still something we are yet to figure out. Maeve, your thoughts on this story? I don't have too many personal thoughts on Jeff Bezos, other than I know he's not painted as the most um, charitable guy, and there's a lot of controversy um, surrounding Amazon's working condition and the wages that they get paid for what they um, go through, but um, that I hope this image can um, change for him, and I hope he's um, starting to realize the power that he holds with the billions of dollars that he has. I know, I think you said $20 million. Um, that's a lot of money for the, the regular person, but uh, you know, to him, that's kind of pocket change. So um, I hope he can uh, change the image for himself and you know, solve a lot of issues because uh, he do, does have the power to do so. And moving on to our next story. Comments made by a guest speaker at a local mega church during a sermon Sunday, July 18th, has angered members of the LGBTQIA community. David Mahan, the director of policy with Center for Christian Virtue, made homophobic and transphobic comments in front of the congregation at Crossroads Church in Oakley. Mahan said, if you have a child struggling with gender dysphoria and you go to a clinic in this area, eventually you'll get down to brass tacks on it if you want a dead daughter or a live son. He later said that in current popular culture, people who are LGBTQ plus never get the help they deserve. Mahan said that he loved the congregation and that he simply wanted to help kids steer away from suicide due to gender dys uh, dysmorphia. Andrea, what are your thoughts on this uh, story? How dare he, in front of a congregation, make those comments knowing that the audience in the audience are LGBTQ folks because of their liberation, you know, their liberal views and openness. I'm surprised they didn't burn down the stage to get him off as fast as possible. I think it's horrible for him to say that. And um you know, I wish I'd know more about it, but I mean, it's just, I can't believe someone would say that, especially in a church. Suhana, um, what are your thoughts about this story? John, when I read about this news, I was so confused because uh, I, first of all, didn't even understand what the pastor was trying to say. 
and uh, that in no way dismisses what uh, what is the repercussion of his words but uh, if he had any malice in what he was trying to say uh, my question is why how do you do this like it's so confusing i it's in 21st we are in 21st century and uh, we are more or less trying to live with each other and tolerating each other's opinions and being res- minimum respectful at least so um I, I it confuses me why uh, what a church go out of their way accumulate people and uh, people of of a certain group and say things that are hurtful to them i i'm truly confused i believe this is wrong but uh, i have no i don't know what to say on it further than this is so easily excusable uh, i heard the church just said i'm so sorry um more or less like i'm so sorry you got hurt um i i think people in a bigger scale get away with saying a lot of things quite disrespectful to the community but uh i this is just uh one of those weird things that make uh me as a person uncomfortable and uh, i'm i'm i hope other guests have some better opinion on this situation but uh, i'm so confused about why would anybody try something like this out of nowhere Maeve, uh, your thoughts on this story? When I read the story, to tell you I was completely shocked is an understatement. Uh, to me, the Crossroads has always been a very uh, accepting and open church. I mean, they have one of their largest churches up in Clifton right next to a college campus. So, I mean, they're always on campus. They're very accepting and very nice people from everybody I've ever met there on campus. And oh, I just can't imagine, there had to have been at least, you know, a few people in the LGBTQ uh, plus community in the audience or parents of those. And uh, I just can't imagine sitting in church and hearing that. I'm sure, because uh, I think he was a guest speaker, as you said, I'm sure the people at Crossroads, the administration there, um, had to have been caught off guard or shocked uh, by those words. So I don't know. I don't see Crossroads as um, homophobic by any means, but that was very, very, um, shocking i guess it's the word to say that's it for the main news topics of the week and now let's uh go into our main topic of the week which focuses on the olympics and i'll hand it over to our circulation director wade lacy senior so go ahead wade thank you john uh, we have a special guest tonight uh, mr charles farmer and he's going to give us some insight on uh this week's uh the next couple of weeks olympics and as, uh, as we uh, go forward with this, Charles, if you would just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you've been doing for the last few years. Okay, I will definitely appreciate that. My background is uh, for uh, quite some time, I've served as the uh, sports editor and assistant managing editor for the Columbus Post newspaper, which is uh, African-American publication when it was in uh, circulation. I uh, did that for about, uh, between 15 and 17 years uh, as a full-time writer and then also as part-time. So that was very interesting to me because it created a very great insight for myself in journalism and also created lots of great opportunities. Since that time, I've moved forward. I'm uh, doing now doing into marketing uh, for uh, nonprofits, small business, and then also for some corporations. Uh, along with that. So I've been able to take my journalism uh, background along with some public relations, I know how uh, going to graduate school with that 
and being able to share that out, uh, share that a little bit. So that's what I've been doing lately. Also still too, uh, doing some uh, podcasts sports-wise with the Goon Squad Sports uh, podcast with a few friends and then also doing uh, a couple of boxing shows. So that's uh, it in a nutshell, if you will. Okay, Charles, well, let's jump right into it and go with one of the, the big controversial questions right away. With the pandemic and uh, all that's going on, should they actually have the Olympics in Tokyo right Wow, I think that depends on your audience, right? To the average person, they probably would say no. Uh, I'm on the mindset that if things are safe, uh, it's kind of hard for them not to have it. Uh, we must keep in mind that they, uh, the, the Olympics were supposed to take place last year in 2020, but uh, it was the Olympics were postponed uh, because of COVID. And uh, now there's going to be no fans, no spectators. We're going to have empty venues. So all of the signs would say you shouldn't have it. But the other part of me says I'm really concerned when you think about the athletes. There are more than 10,000 athletes that plan on participating in the, the Olympic Games in Tokyo. And for a lot of these uh, athletes, this is how they make their money. This is how they live. This is where they make their most money because of the contracts, the endorsements. If they win uh, medals, gold, silver, or bronze, what have you, this is how they make their money. And they would probably be the ones who would kind of fight not being able to, to participate. So I guess I'm kind of on the fence there, but I think really it's about the health first uh, and foremost, but then again, also, also, it's on the uh, athletes to participate. Excellent, excellent answer there. Uh, well, Charles, you know, this kind of goes full circle for me uh, that the Olympics here in 2021 now is being held in Tokyo. My first uh, inkling of the Olympics go all the way back to 1964. That's when it first registered in my mind. And, and ever since then, it's been a big part of my life with uh, the different sports heroes. Uh, back in 1964, we were thrilled to watch Bob Hayes and uh, Wyoming uh, Tyus, uh, our sprinters in the uh, 100 meters for the United States, bringing home the gold. Uh, especially for me uh, as a swimmer, we had Don Schulander back then who won four gold medals in that, in that Olympics in Tokyo. What does the Olympics mean to you? Well, growing up, the Olympics was always something that was uh, special because we were uh, taught about having uh, pride in your country. And it wasn't so much about hating other countries, but it was more or less a pride thing. And this was an opportunity, I think, for myself, being able to watch some of the greatest athletes uh, in time uh, participate and, and, and show how great they were in their own sport because we know that the Olympics only takes place normally every four years. And there have been some great performances. I know I was a little young to understand about the 1968 Olympics, but with all of the controversies and whatnot, uh, when you just think about the great uh, individuals like uh, John Carlos and Tommy Smith, what they had to go through uh, trying to just be great athletes and still representing themselves as African-Americans in this country in one a lot of ways. You also thought about George Foreman and boxing and so many other people. And I think Olympics also too, from the standpoint of when I think about Jesse Owens and what he went through and him having the audacity to go to Germany and not just uh, uh, face uh, a, a very dangerous individual considered by many in the world and, and look him directly in his eye and destroy him and his athletes in that setting. 
that always set the precedent for the Olympics for me, which was a little bit harsh. But then over over the years, we've seen some great um, great performances. 1976, we think about the great Olympic team, think about Mark Spitz, I could go on and on. But I think just that presence of being able to see great athletes uh, do what they do and surpass so many great things. We think about uh, Daytonian uh, Edwin Moses and so many other great uh, sprinters, uh, boxers, uh, swimmers that uh, put it on the line, even to the point of weightlifting. It was a great opportunity for a lot of athletes who really did not have the opportunity to be seen to receive their just due and also had the ability to shine in front of the world. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, you mentioned some of the different athletes through the years, Jesse Owens and uh, John Smith and Carlos. Uh, uh, it also makes me think of uh, our Native American uh, athlete that was just a superstar back then. Not many people remember him now, but Jim Thorpe. Yes, yes. Was a yes. great Olympian for us uh, back in the day and everything. And we've had many others over, over the years. Uh, Charles, but uh, do you have a favorite sport? When it comes to the Olympics, uh, I really, I'm pretty uh, prone. I used to, I used to love boxing, but now I'm, I'm largely into track and field. But the beauty about this, and as I was doing research for this uh, particular segment, um, I'm open to a lot of different things because that's what it is about the Olympics. I remember watching the uh, Winter Olympics and thinking about uh, if I was in the uh, Winter Olympics, what sport would I participate in? And I was just fascinated by things like the luge. I'm like, how can you do that with so much speed? And it's, I love to ride sleds back in the day. So I'm saying to myself, I bet you that would be crazy. But then I learned how fast it was. I was like, that probably wouldn't be a great sport for me. But uh, to answer your question, track and field, uh, women's gymnastics, definitely, for sure. Uh, I think about way back into the point, I think it was 76, when Nadia Kamenich in the perfect tens. That was just amazing. Mark Spitz, swimming, of course. Um, and there are so many others, but even just, but I think those are the two pre, pretty much a track and field and, uh, and, and gymnastics. Well, Charles, what, what do you think about uh, the conversation that, that's been <laughs> Naomi Osaka, uh, she had her uh, uh, incidents at the French Open. Uh, mm -hmm. She set out the Wimbledon, uh, but she uh, is representing Tokyo and she got a little back, backlash for some of the uh, uh, people of color uh, uh, because she was representing Tokyo. Uh, well, what are your thoughts on that? I'll say this. Uh, I mean, a lot of people say the same thing about Tiger Woods and all of that, what he chose to do. But uh, when you think about uh, Naomi's uh, choice and what she's been through with the mental health and things like that too, you have to let an individual be themselves, correct? And, and, and sometimes certain individuals and in certain groups want to grab one to somebody because they're successful, but you have to let the person be. And she had a lot going on and it's her choice who she wants to represent. And I think because we know them and we feel like we know these individuals because we see them all the time. We feel like some of the fans feel like they almost have a, a, a part of them, like they own them in a sense, like there's some ownership, but these are individuals. And despite the fact that them being top uh, athletes with great caliber of being a great caliber athlete, they're still people. And I think that's what we miss sometimes. We expect certain things, but I don't think that you can uh, really fault her for the choice that she made. 
she's still an individual and that was her choice. Absolutely. Uh, Charles, before we go into some of the individual athletes, uh, let's talk about some of the dominance of uh, particular countries. And for instance, uh, if you look at China and table tennis, uh, they seem to win not only the gold, but the silver also each year. And not only the men's singles, but the women's singles, the women's doubles, the mixed doubles. Uh, is there anybody close to the, that type of dominance in any of, any of the other sports? Uh, I know that when we think about the long distance runs, right? Some of the, you also think about some of the, the uh, European countries, but we also think about some of the African nations where the athletes literally just dominate. It goes to the point where you think about the African nations where their runners come over and they dominate a lot of the marathons. And, and a lot of people are not saying that the United States and other countries don't have high quality, uh, high caliber athletes, but there's something about it. And I don't want to throw that old phrase, it's something in the water. And that's not true. It's about the way that they train or the way that uh, these individuals are able to be consistent. And I think that's what really sets them apart from anything. And I think that's what we're surprised by because when you think about the Usain Bolts of the world, uh, the Michael Johnsons, the 200 meter dash, when you have people that are just able to do it, even with uh, uh, Michael Phelps, people are able to do it over such a long period of time and consistency, it just kind of blows you away because there's always some new athletes coming tr to trying to unseat them. Okay, well, let, let's let's dive into some of the athletes now that, that are, uh, well, before I go into any individual athletes, uh, what storylines do you see coming ahead for this, this next two weeks? Uh, and I don't want to take too far, get too far uh, ahead, but I think one of the uh, main storylines that I think people need to pay attention to if they're not familiar is uh, the women's 400 meter hurdles. And the reason why I say that is because you have two dominant young ladies from America uh, that are neck and neck after one, one another. And, it, and along with the other, the rest of the individuals in the field should be for a great race in the prelims and then also in the finals. And I'm talking about Sydney McLaughlin, uh, who set a world record in the Olympic trials, 51.9. Uh, she was the first woman to break the 52 second mark in that, in that particular event. Uh, this is her second Olympics. She was 16 the first time she ran in her, uh, her first Olympics. And then, of course, she defeated Dyla uh, Muhammad, uh, who at the time was the Olympic champion uh, before in the 400-meter hurdle. So that group alone is going to be one of the top events that you want to keep your eye on, even if you're not a big track and field fan and not really uh, uh, familiar with it. I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed because these ladies come to run and they're definitely both premier athletes along with the rest of the group. Yes, I agree, I agree. Well, let's sticking with the hurdles that in the, on the women's side, there's uh, in the 100 meter hurdles, uh, Kenny Harrison. Uh, she She's uh, won the trial. I remember uh, in 2016, she did not make it uh, to the Olympics. And then and two weeks later, she set the world record. So it was, it was good to see her come through the trials uh, do you think she'll go ahead and uh, win the gold this time? Uh, I want to say yes, but the only thing about that is when you when you almost designate somebody to win, it's very difficult because on that stage, anything can happen. Anything can happen. It can be an injury. It can be a, a step here or there. So we can say that perhaps she's a prohibitive favorite, if you will, 
But on that night or those days of competing, you, you already know this because you mentioned about one of your favorite sports. It can just be uh, inches or timing or anything. It can just be a slip that can make a difference. So I'd prefer to say prohibitive favorite than I would say almost guarantee that that person is going to win. What about the men's side? Um, when Usually when you think of the 100 meters and the 200 meters and you take out uh, Usain Bolt, but usually the U.S. is real tough in, in those categories. And we've got Ronnie Baker and Noah Lyle representing us this year, but I just don't feel that confident <laughs> that I normally would feel in, in those races. What about you? Yeah, well, I can understand that. I mean, you think about Noah Lyle, as you mentioned, uh, in fact, uh, Usain Bolt is one of the guys that pre picked him and thinks he should win. Uh, but he's posted a world best 19.74 while qualifying for Tokyo. Uh, it's his first Olympics. And that might be the one thing that caveat that may raise some eyebrows for other individuals. But uh, one individual I think that uh, we should look at too, you mentioned about the 100 and the 200 meter dash is uh, Trayvon Brum Brumel. And right now, I think he might be considered a favorite to win the dash. He ran the 9.77 uh, 100 meters this year, the fastest this year. Interesting story for him is because in the 2016 Olympics, he tore his Achilles in the four by one meter relay. And since that time, he's had two Achilles surgeries and he won the silver in the 400 meters. So you think about two surgeries, he's chomping at the bit for another opportunity to try to run. Uh, in the Olympics. So it'll be interesting to see what he does and we should keep an eye out on, out on him. What about uh, Gabby Thomas in the 200 for the women? She ended up running the fastest 200 times ever since since Flojo. Uh, what do you think about that? No, I think it's amazing because you to put the time in the way that she did, she's 24 years old out of Atlanta. Uh, it says that she's ready. But again, the question is when the lights come on, can you get it done? And people are just affected by a lot of different things. So we hope that she's able to uh, do what she did and, and, and definitely uh, duplicate that effort. But uh, when the lights come on, we just don't know. That's it's almost the, that it's scary, but it's the beauty of it at the same time because some people are big time performers. Others are ones that say they are, I think they are, but they sometimes have issues mentally that uh, trap them and, and don't allow them to compete the way they normally would. Well, Charles, one of the, the storylines that, that, that has my attention is the young girl, I believe her name is Aideen Mo, running the 800 force. She mm -hmm. also uh, has the 400 speed. Uh, I know that they wanted her to run the 800 because they think that she's a, a shoe-in for that. Like you said, we'll, we'll see when it happens. But uh, she didn't run the 400, which I hope that they reward her at least on the relays uh, because she ran a 48-6 split uh, in the, in the uh, NCAA, I believe it was just a couple of months ago. Uh, any thoughts on her? Yeah, I think that it's a unique situation and uh, whoever's making that uh, those decisions, particularly for the uh, relays, it's gonna be very difficult because somebody with that kind of talent, you would think that you would want her to stick with her specialty, right? And even if she's really uh, a person that can run another event, you want to see her in a specialty. And then they, if she can bring more points to the team, why not let her run? Uh, you also mentioned about the four, the 400, four by four, perhaps, uh, four by four relay for women. 
I was watching the video the other day and I'm, I want to know who the person is going to make that decision because I watched a, uh, a four by four meter, uh, four, four by five meter relay with Sidney McLaughlin and Dahlia uh, Muhammad. And I said, oh my goodness, these are hurdlers. What are they doing? They, they, they burned the track up and I'm saying to myself, this is impressive. So I would love to see them on that team. And you mentioned some other individuals too, but that's going to be a very tough uh, uh, situation, a very difficult situation to come up with who's going to run. But uh, there's so much talent on the, the American track of teams between the men and women. It's definitely going to be interesting to see who comes out. Well, let's step aside from the track and field for a second. And uh, uh, we're going to wrap it up in a, in a few minutes, but let's go to basketball. The, both the men's and the women's team uh, lost at least one game uh, leading up to the to the Olympics. Uh, what was your what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the men's team they uh it's all about chemistry. Uh, you have some of the top players that are not there this time. Uh, I think uh, uh, Coach Popovich is going to have to find a way to bring those together. The one the one caveat that really helps them is the fact that you're getting three top players that are just coming out the NBA championships and will be available soon. And that's, uh, of course, the two Milwaukee Bucks uh, players uh, with Holiday, and then also Middleton, and then also you receive uh, from the Phoenix Suns, the guard as well. So I think that's gonna help them dramatically. The women, I think they're set. I think they just need to play more uh, and, and play more to gain more chemistry. But I will say this, it's very dangerous because even though I, I'm glad to see Don Staley get an opportunity to lead that team, there's a lot of controversy going on with uh, a lot of the top players not getting able to uh, be able to play. Kind of reminds you of the time when uh, they shut out uh, Candace Parker for 2016 as if she's not one of the top players in the country, but they chose to do, go another way. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of controversy around that, so we'll see what happens. Okay, well, as we're closing out, I, I, I would just want to mention some other uh, players and, and, and participants. You know, we have Simone Biles in uh, gymnastics. We have Simone Manuels in swimming. Uh, we have Coco uh, Golf in uh, Madison Keys on the women's side, tennis, and Francis Tayapo, uh in the, on the men's side. Uh, give us your last thoughts as we, we uh, wind this down on, on the Olympics as a whole. No doubt. I just want to say real quick, some other people that I mean, you would, I think we, it'd be important to look at uh, the controversial, but yet steady Gwen Berry in the hammer throw. She's something else, but she's a very talented individual. Uh, women's boxing, Rashida Ellis, Naomi Graham, and also O'Shea uh, Jones. Women's rugby, top scorer, Anaya Tapper and uh, Cheetah Imba. Uh, USA has a lot, has a great challenge to win, great, great chance to win the gold. Women's soccer, Crystal Dunn, Adrian French. Women's softball, uh, Michelle Moultrie. Uh, women's uh, swimming, Natalie Hines, 27 years old at her Olympic debut. And then last but not least, uh, in women's uh, water polo, Ashley Johnson. She's the first African-American woman to make that team. Oh, uh, very informative, Charles. I am so happy that we were able to get you on tonight. And I'll turn it back over to John. Indeed, that was a very fascinating very great conversation. Thank you so much, Charles, for coming on and talking about the Olympics. Do you have any uh, social media handles or anything so where people can follow you? Yeah, definitely. Uh, on uh, Facebook, uh, we have the Reality of Sports. Uh, also, there's a realitysports.com. Uh, also, a Goon Squad Sports Radio. 
as, as well. But I also have, like I said, the main thing is my, my website, The Reality of Sports. All right. That's great. And I want to thank Andrea and Wade, Suhana and May for coming on and giving, you know, your guys' thoughts on this week's stories. So thank you guys. And make sure to check out the stories we talked about today on our website at www.thecincinnatiherald.com. You can also check out our print edition, which is sold at your local Kroger, UDF, Walgreens, Joseph Beth Booksellers, and at select service stations. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, and TuneIn Radio. Just search for the Cincinnati Herald Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Facebook at the Cincinnati Herald. Follow us at Cincy Herald on Twitter and Instagram. And follow us on YouTube. Just search for the Herald TV. I'm John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald. And have a good day. Mm -hmm.